I believe that uh, when we walk in intimacy with the Lord, our whole life changes. Your past, your present, your addictions, your struggles, the things that people have done to you, the way people have abandoned you or labeled you, the things that you have partnered with in your heart and mind, I don't care what they are. Only He has the authority to tell you who you are. We have to ask Holy Spirit to download His heart to our heart. We have to be people who raise their hands and say, I'm here, this is my city, this is my region, it's not somebody else's problem. You know it's bad when the speaker brings up Kleenex, like, for himself. Uh, I'm gonna just give a few, like, disclosure statements here for a moment. I caught whatever cold is going around among the staff, and it's like my eye feels like it's gonna fall out on one end and my nose is gonna drip the whole time. So there's that, but also, um, you know, I'm giving the Christmas message. I don't know who was in charge of the schedule, but it feels like a tactical error. So, um, but, um, you know, I, it's, I'm Drew, so I don't ever do anything normal. Uh, my whole life is abnormal. I'm abnormal. My messages are abnormal. And my face feels abnormal this morning. So this is going to be an abnormal Christmas message. So buckle up. That's my disclosure for this morning. Um, I have the Kleenex because my nose is running, and also I've been crying the whole time this morning. I just feel God's heart this morning in this. And so I'm just going to ask you to, to bear with me as we walk through this. Um, as I was preparing, and I've known for months that I'm going to be doing this message, and as I've been preparing for it, um, my heart kept being drawn back over and over and over again to the, the prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. And, you know, there's, so that you know, there's hundreds of them. Hundreds of prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament and what he would come to do. And my heart settled on a few of them that I'm going to share in just a few moments. But then as I was putting this message together, uh, how many of you have like a, a favorite Christmas song? Like a particular song that no matter any time in Christmas, whenever that song comes on, you're just like, and now I am at the feet of Jesus. Like I just, for me, that song is O Holy Night. And the first verses, the first words of O Holy Night, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That's today. Like, that's the message today. See, doing a traditional Christmas message in any church, you know, it's like, it's, it's like the Super Bowl Christmas for a pastor because it's where all the CEO Christians come. <laughs> Christmas and Easter only. And so you kind of feel this pressure to be, like, give the most dynamic message altogether. And, and honestly, a traditional Christmas message starts with Mary on a donkey and Joseph and, you know, you're in Bethlehem and you got all the shepherds and the, you know, whatever. But the, the reality is, is that the Christmas story doesn't start there. It starts way, 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 way back. See, the Christmas story and the story of Jesus starts in the Garden of Eden in the very first moment of humanity's failure. In Genesis 3, you see it after Adam and Eve take of the fruit and they disobey and they rebel against the heart of God. 
You see the very first statement made, the very first prophecy of Jesus in Genesis 3, and it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike at its heel, speaking to the serpent, speaking to the devil. And the thing that I want you to hear in that is that God has always been planning our redemption from the very first minute that we fail. From the very moment of our first failure, God is already, already planning our redemption. And I feel so burdened to share that with you this morning. First off, I'm so glad to see you all here. I was like, oh, you're here. Oh, good. Because you need to hear from the very first moment of your rebellion and the very first moment of your failures and the very first moment of your shortcomings, God was already planning your redemption. And in humanity, he was already planning our redemption. Now, you know, if you think about how far back Adam and Eve were before Jesus, now I'm not, you know, there's a lot of debate on the time scale of creation and, and all that. Not my problem, not the point today. <laughs> if we just don't care, you know, honestly, I don't. If we just take the Bible at its word on the time, which whatever, it's like 4,000 plus years from that very first failure, just in the, the genealogies and how they account for it. Even if, you know, whatever, I don't care, it's still a long, long time. That's at least 4,000 years of God planning redemption before Jesus ever showed up. You know, it's, it's just this amazing reality that long before we're even aware of how badly we're messing things up, he's already moving to redeem it. You know, and, and as the passages and the history of the Bible, I'm literally gonna take you in the history of the Bible today because I want us to truly understand the message of Christmas is not about, well, Heather, I'm not gonna say it that way. It is about our redemption. It is about God's passionate love. It is about the lengths to which he will go to redeem us and also about the lengths that we have gone to rebel. You see, because from, from Adam and Eve, you move forward in history and time and you get to only 10 generations to Noah. And at no, the point of Noah, we know that the world got so bad in 10 generations that God sent a flood. And yet God also promises through Noah, never again will I do this to deal with sin. The sign of that rainbow in the sky of saying, my covenant to you is I will not end things like this again. In just 10 generations, it got so bad that he just literally, you know, wash, lather, rinse, repeat. And then we get back into a whole new start. And he's saying, I'm not going to do this with sin again. And then shortly, shortly after that, humanity once again, even after that, gets to a point of such rebellion that they build the Tower of Babel and they're like, see, we're like God. And then God has to go, okay, I'm not going to send the flood, but I'm going to confuse all of them and I'm going to spread them out. You know, the Tower of Babel is a, confuses their language. They all spread out. And at that Second awful point of rebellion and that so far away from God's plan for humanity, it's then that he speaks to Abram and says, I'm gonna call you out among all the people and I'm gonna start to bless you as a nation and create this plan of redemption through you. And he sends Abram who becomes Abraham to a place far you know, out of his neighborhood. He says, go, okay, where are we going? I'll tell you when you get there. You know, it's like, that's kind of God's way. How many of you ever experienced God do that to you? By the way, just show of hands. 
go? Where am I going? I'll tell you, you'll know when you get there. Shoot, okay, great. And he goes, and he begins promising again the redemption of Jesus through Abraham. He says, all nations will be blessed through you. Every nation will be blessed through you, meaning the Messiah is gonna come out of your line. Of all the people in the world, I choose you. And by the way, footnote, I choose one of the most stiff-necked, stubborn people in all of history. That gives me so much hope. Because I know my character. And if he chose them, he can choose me. And even in that, you have, you know, I mean, it's like a Jerry Springer family tree there. I mean, it's really quite an awful history of, of things. It's like... You know, you marry her and her, and I'll give you her to have kids and this and that. I mean, like from there on, it's just really ugly. And I don't want to go into all that, but in that, you know, God continues to promise through that and through those lines. And in Abraham, he says, your people are going to become a great nation. Oh, by the way, you're going to go to slavery for 400 years. You know, pause. You know, you're going to go away in slavery for 400 years. You're going to come out of Egypt, and then you're going to move into the promised land, and then you have Moses, and you have, like, I'm really trying to give you the 10,000-foot view of this, but every single time, every dark failure, every broken place, God is constantly reminding the people of his plan of redemption. And every single step and every single failure, God is constantly putting the breadcrumbs of redemption out for them. And then you get to the time where they actually are in the promised land and there's been so many promises given and you have these prophets that are coming up because, you know, at this point, you know, God never intended things to be as they are, but, you know, God works with our lives and, and through the prophets that are speaking, they start speaking powerfully of the, of the sign to come of what God is going to do to really bring redemption. And one of the first prophecies that, that really was on my heart to share this morning, and I, and I know it's really a traditional Christmas one, but I want to hear you, hear, I want to, you to hear me say this. It was 700 years before the birth of Jesus that the prophet Isaiah begins to say, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. And just so that you understand and so that we understand the lengths to which God goes to redeem us and the story that is Christmas, God of the universe is going to humble himself in the form of a baby. God himself it's going to be requiring humanity to change his diapers. God himself is going to humble himself into the most frail and fragile existence that there is, a baby. The humility of God to redeem our rejection of him is astounding. I can barely humble myself to get on board with some of the things that he says for me to do just as an adult. Like, how many of you have, have been in uh, just, it doesn't even matter what the context is because God is saying, just don't do that. And you're like, nope. <laughs> the lack of humility on my part contrasted with the absolute humility of God to humble himself in the form of a baby is astounding to me. It's unreal. Yeah. It's unreal. The next prophecy of Isaiah, which I, I, is the first one that my heart was drawn to, is Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and on, that time on and forever. Later in Isaiah 61, which is one of my favorite prophecies of Jesus, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And we read these things, and we read the prophecies of Jesus, and as the Old Testament ends, we jump right into Matthew, Luke, John, and we see the birth of Jesus. But do you understand that from the time, the 700-year distance from the time that Isaiah said this, from the last book of the Old Testament of Malachi, there is a 400-year period of silence. And you know, it's, it's interesting to me because in a lot of my time as a believer in studying the Bible, I don't know how I didn't get what happened in that 400 years. But it's kind of like, you know, you're watching a Netflix series, you get done with the season, they do a time jump, and you just kind of skip over everything that happened in between. That's a really horrible analogy, but I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like where you kind of take for granted that life happens in between one moment and another. But this is 400 years of life happening. And, I, and because... I've never heard this in a Christmas message. I want you to know what happened to that nation in the 400-year gap. Because the world that Jesus walked into after the last words of Malachi were vastly different than when, the, when Malachi and Isaiah were speaking to when Jesus showed up. Israel, that nation, his chosen people, were a shell of what they were called to be. They had gotten so far away from God's intention for them. And I share that with you because I want to say this to you today. It doesn't matter how far away you get from what God calls you to be or do or who he calls you in your identity. Because God, to God, there is no distance so big. There is no length too far. There is no consequence or, or place of despair you can get to that his plan of redemption isn't already in place. See, the nation of Israel got so far away from what he had intended. First off, I don't know if you, you know this, but they were never intended to have a king. Like we all know about King David, you know, we, 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 or maybe we don't. There was a King David. But... <laughs> That line of kings was given because they didn't want to not have a king and just be ruled by the priesthood and be ruled by God. Frankly, I'm telling you right now, I would much rather have God as my ruler, like, in government. Amen. Amen. You know? It's just... Hashtag worried. You know, I mean, like, I just... <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I... I... Just saying. So... But they didn't want that. They wanted a king, so God gave him a king, but he gave him in the line of David. And so any king was going to be in the line of David. But by the time we get past to where Jesus is born, not only is that royal line gone, but it's not even in the, the, the house of Israel. It's a descendant of, of Esau. Herod the Great was a descendant of Esau. You had Jacob and Esau from, from Isaac and Rachel. And, and it was, you know, it was, it was not good. But Herod the Great wasn't even in that family line anymore. 
so far away from what God would have even intended. The priesthood was always meant to be in the line of Aaron. Aaron, the brother of Moses, in his family line was supposed to be the priesthood. The priesthood wasn't even in the line of Aaron anymore. They outed them and they put people in to serve the political purposes. The people who were leading spiritually weren't even supposed to be leading spiritually anymore. We look at the New Testament, we see the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those people did not exist in the Old Testament. That is a fractured, broken reflection of how far away the priesthood and the religious community got. The Sadducees didn't even believe in the supernatural. They have a God who led them out of Egypt and did supernatural signs and wonders. They didn't even believe anymore in the supernatural at all. It was a shell of what it should have been. Not only that, Jerusalem, that that center of their government. Do you know that Jerusalem means the city of peace? Interesting fun fact. Jerusalem has been attacked, sieged, pillaged, and destroyed over 27 times in its history. Talk about an ironic name. I don't know of a more ironic name. Actually, my name means strong and manly, so runner up. You know, it's like... Rar, you know. Um. But you have to understand, not only were they, they so ransacked and pillaged, there had been so many different kingdoms and, and, and empires that conquered them in that time. It was, at the time of the writing of Malachi, it was always, already the Persians. They had just got out of captivity from Babylon, and now the Persian Medo, like, Medo-Persian Empire was conquered, had conquered them. Then in came the Greeks with Alexander the Great. And that, you know, Greeks. So then the Greek, you know, that all fell. And then it was the Romans. And they were under Roman occupation at the time. They were so far away from what God had intended them to be. So many consequences to their rebellion. So many consequences to their national sin and their individual sin. They were so far away. How many of you here today feel so far away from what God had intended your life to be? Maybe you're looking at your life and you're looking at the person you become and, and you just wonder if there's any possible way God could bring you back to his purposes and his, his intention for your life. Because the story of Christmas is about that. The story of Christmas is about that redemption. It's in this time in the 400 years of silence to where Israel has become a shell of what it was supposed to be in the most darkest point of its history, when almost all hope is lost. That you have some shepherds minding their own business in a field somewhere. And the angels appear to them. And you can see it in Matthew 2. No, sorry, Luke 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Calling back to the promise to Abraham, through you I will bless all people. 
Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, and Messiah means the promised one. The Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So that you understand, when we as kids did our little like nativity scenes or shepherd scenes, you know, any of you remember in early like Sunday school the flannel gram? Like the flannel board. So much flannel. Like, I was at a church once that I was speaking. They decided for Easter, for the main message, they were going to do a flannel gram. They had a 20-foot by 10-foot flannel gram on their stage. I was like, how do you even get Jesus on that? Like, press him up on there. That's too much flannel. But big churches with their budgets, I don't know. Could have fed some homeless people with all that flannel, I think. But, you know, whatever. This is the cold medicine, Drew, you're getting to do. But let's be honest. I do this anyway. Um, so you have these shepherds. And so that you understand, shepherds were the lowest of the social system in Israel. I just keep thinking back multiple times of the humility of God in this. The humility of God to be wrapped in a baby, the humility of God to still redemptively move towards a people who have so badly rejected him and rebelled against him that the consequences leave them unrecognizable as his people. And then that he would announce his promised arrival to the lowliest of all the people in that system, the shepherds, the stinky, out-in-the-field shepherds. Invite them to be the attendants of the birth of a king. They get to be the messengers and those harbingers of hope for a promise that has been waiting for 4,000 years. The humility of God in that is amazing. It's just profound to me that then, as Jesus is born into that setting, into not only a, a nation that is unrecognizable to who it was supposed to be, but a nation that is so hostile to his birth that his parents have to flee to save his life. And we're not talking pack up the forerunner and go. We're talking like hardship upon hardship upon hardship and the frailty and the risk and the vulnerability of entrusting all of God's redemptive plan in such a fragile thing. Brothers, sisters, look at yourself and realize he's still doing that. He's still doing that. He's still entrusting the message of redemption in such a fragile thing. It's such a beautiful foretelling of what Christmas is and still is. You know, his redemptive plan then brings him to this point, and it isn't until later that we see these prophecies again being fulfilled as Jesus stands as an adult, 30 plus years waiting again, as if 4,000 years isn't enough, as if 400 years isn't enough, as if it all isn't in enough time, he still waits another 30 years to begin his ministry and proclaims in a synagogue as he went to Nazareth, quoting from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's come to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim good news to the poor, release of captive from the prisoner, 
and free the oppressed. Can you imagine what it must be like for a nation that has now been ransacked 27 times, oppressed by every government, lost its full idea of what it is to be free or hope-filled, to have the God of the promise of 4,000 years plus come and say, today I'm here. You know, Jesus is still speaking that to us today. He's here. Whatever oppression we have in our life, whatever lack of hope we have in our lives, he is still here. I love what Rachel said earlier today of waiting for those moments of promise to come and just proclaiming the goodness of God. He is so good. He's so much better than we think he is. And I'm sorry, but if I were to give a Christmas message and say, oh, Jesus arrived in a manger, there were the shepherds, angels saying, sheep were there. I'm sorry, that doesn't just doesn't encapsulate the gospel as I know it. The gospel as I know it is as the God of the universe broke into our darkest moment in the most frail way and changed history and changed our lives and still does it today. Because the God of hope is here. It doesn't matter how far away from what his intention for your life or mine has ever been. It doesn't matter how far you are. It doesn't matter the consequence. It doesn't matter the sins. It doesn't matter the mistakes. Because in all of that, God is here. And he is redemptive. And he is ready to bring his plan to bear in our lives to redeem every bit of it. We are going to take communion today as a response to this because here's the thing. Christmas, we end at baby Jesus, but that's not the full story because Jesus came to die because the frailest of babies and the frailest of the most hostile of environments came to stay for just a little bit and then to be crucified by his own people, to be broken and bleed out for our sins and for our redemption. the humility of God to be a sacrifice for us, for our sins. And God was always planning it. Always planning it from the moment of our first failure. You know, I read that prophecy or that statement from Genesis 3, but I want to share another thing with you. The first 10 generations before the flood, do you all know that, that you know, names have meaning? Like I said, mine means strong and manly. I'm embracing it. Maybe it meant personality-wise, you know? Well, the first 10 generations from Adam to Noah, their names also have meaning. Maybe you've never heard this, maybe you have, but let it be a reminder that from the very beginning, God was always planning. Adam means man. His son Seth means appointed. His son Enosh means mortal. His son Kinan means sorrow. His son Mahalalel means the blessed God. His son Jared means shall come down. His son Enoch means teaching. His son Methuselah means his death shall bring. His son Lamech means the despairing. And his son Noah means comfort and rest. Put it all together and you have this. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching and his death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. From the beginning, from the very foundation, before we even fell, God called Adam, Adam. 
doesn't matter. It doesn't matter our despair. It doesn't matter how far away we've gotten from his plan or purposes. From before we even failed, he was planning our redemption. And this Christmas, when we are taking all the wonderful time to embrace the joy and the festivities of it, remember this. The greatest point of our joy is this. We are no longer in sin and error pining. For when he appeared, our soul has felt its worth. I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you as we respond to time just to go and take communion. His body broken and his blood shed so that we don't have to remain in sin and error pining. Father God, we thank you so much this morning. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the humility that you've displayed in the birth of Jesus. But I thank you for the wisdom and the love and the outrageous goodness that you've displayed in your redemptive plan all along. You are so good, so much better than we think you are. Father, this morning I pray for my brothers and sisters and I, and I ask this in this holiday season, I know that, that this is a time of joy, but it can also be a time of deep sorrow. Maybe the consequences and the brokenness are not our own, but maybe we're dealing with the consequences of sin in other people's lives and this is not a merry and bright season. Father God, I pray for every heart and soul today that is in sorrow, that they will know that your redemption and your hope is here. That through the blood and body of Jesus, we have redemption and we have hope. Father, I pray that for all of us who are maybe wondering if our lives could ever be what you intended them to be, Lord, may there be a renewed hope in your redemptive plan. You have known and you have purposed redemption before we even thought to sin. And Father, for those in this room that are walking in that, Lord, may we all just experience your great communion this morning and the gratefulness and thankfulness that comes with a God who, is, who has done this for us. Lord, I'm weepy this morning, but I'm weepy in great gratitude. I'm humbled by your humble love. And the fact that you still put this treasure in us to be the messengers of Jesus here and now you're still doing great things in humble circumstances. So Father, bless us this morning to understand your heart and your gospel in a way we never have. You are so good. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. There is communion there, there. I feel like a stewardess. There and there in those points please go and take the bloody and the blood of Jesus